0: Good morning, I too greet each one of you in the name of Christ here this morning. Good to see you all here. Good to see Brother Dale and Sister Betty Joy here welcome you as well as everyone else who's here. And uh, as Brother Matt was um, introducing, kind of forget exactly how you introduced that there, but. drew attention to the front of the bulletin there. Um, How was it? Yes, do you know what day it is today? Do do you know what day it is today? (laughs) Today is uh, Pentecost Sunday. And my wife reminded me of that. And um, I wanted to check into it to make sure about that and so I went to the calendar and uh, I couldn't find it on any of our calendars at home same as I think actually I think there was one calendar at home that I found ascension day on so somehow these things are kind of slipping away from our calendars and um, so I started doing the math and um, came up with, I have to think here, I struggled on uh, some of these numbers and looking through the Bible trying to figure it out, but yes, we're at 50 days since Passover, which would have been uh, the day before Jesus died. So um, just going through some of this, uh, so what is Pentecost? So if we would go back to the book of Exodus, in Exodus 12, we read about the Passover, where it was instituted. When the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, they were preparing to leave Egypt, and and God had them kill that lamb and observe that first Passover. So then we go to Exodus 19, and the children of israel had left egypt they came to mount sinai and it was there that god gave the ten commandments to moses now that took place and here i'm i'm a little doing my research in in exodus and leviticus um, just a little bit having trouble putting all those numbers together or the days and so on, but would have been about 50 days after their departure from Egypt, after the Passover. So yes, God came down on Mount Sinai there in chapter 20 of Exodus and gave the Ten Commandments. So what does that have to do with Pentecost? Well, they didn't call it Pentecost in the Old Testament. They had a number of different names. One of those was the Feast of Weeks, and in Leviticus, actually I I didn't check that out. If it uses the name Feast of Weeks there, but it it talks about how um, they were supposed to observe this feast. And it was a commemoration Of the giving of the law. So we come to the New Testament, we have Jesus crucified on the day that the Passover lamb was killed in the evening. And then, and here I'm a little rusty on some of my my math, but I think it was from Saturday then, Uh, 50 days following that would have been Pentecost when, uh, yeah, after Jesus had ascended into heaven. So the Old Testament, the one name was Feast of Weeks. The New Testament was Pentecost. And we all know the significant happening on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament there, that first Pentecost was the coming of the Holy Spirit. I was interested in our Sunday School class this morning. There was talk about the Son, there was also talk about God the Father, and the Holy Spirit came through as well. The Holy Spirit, one of the Trinity, and as I was pondering His being one of the Trinity, (coughs) thinking through the Trinity. It's one of those mysteries that we need to believe in faith. We can't understand how our one God can be three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and yet be one. And I, I just think that that is one of those great mysteries of God that we, we believe, we accept in faith, We um, are so thankful for the gift of each one, the work of the Father, the work of the Son, the work of the Holy Spirit. So, This morning I invite you to Acts chapter 2 to begin looking at that account of the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, we'll read the first 13 verses. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, and the multitude came together, and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another. Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrena, And strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. So we have in the account here, the day of Pentecost, we have the disciples being unanimously assembled together. A group of sincere followers of Jesus who are gathered together, it says in one accord, in unity. And into this assembly comes the sound of a a rushing mighty wind. It says it filled the house where they were sitting In John chapter 3, there is a comparison of the Holy Spirit to wind. John 3 verse 8, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So comparing those that are born of the Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit to the wind the wind is powerful the wind is invisible we don't understand everything about the wind but those are a couple things that we do understand and even so the holy spirit cannot be seen but we can see the effects of his power within his people Verse 3 brings out the uh, cloven tongues of fire that descended on this group of of assembled believers. And uh, we can compare that to how John the Baptist, he said that Christ would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We also know about fire, that it is powerful as well. We know that it's illuminating, it lightens things up, it warms, it purifies, and even so, that's comparable, very comparable to the work of the Holy Ghost. And then verse 4 says that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost coming of the Holy Ghost. And there were immediate effects of the Holy Ghost as he came, not upon, but within the believers. Jesus had promised in Acts 1 verse 8, he promised that the Holy Ghost would come and that they would receive power as the Holy Ghost came. And one of those effects, immediate effects, was the apostles speaking, or the disciples speaking in other tongues, in unknown tongues, languages that they did not know of themselves. A couple things that we, maybe I'll mention that, I think as in our Anabaptist circles, we get a little nervous, might you say, when we start hearing about people talking in tongues. And I think there's, there's reason that we do. But a couple things we notice about the disciples speaking in tongues here is um, one is that it was orderly it wasn't just a bunch of babbling but people could understand it and and it says that they were they were confounded okay they they understood what was being said Verse 4 brings out that it was directed by the Holy Spirit. And another thing it brings out, or that we see here, is that it was edifying. This speaking in tongues was edifying to the people. Verse 11 says about all these different people, uh, different groups, different nationalities. And it says, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. It was to edification. I think as we maybe get a little edgy at times about hearing, about speaking in tongues, I fear that there there may be a lot of what do we say, self-glorifying babbling that goes on in the name of tongues. And I'm not one who believes that speaking in tongues never happens. But neither do I want to stand up here this morning and just start babbling. And Say I'm speaking in tongues and nobody understands, myself included, what I'm saying. I think we have to be careful about that. But I would say this morning that to me, a changed life is evidence enough to see the power of the Holy Spirit working within. You don't need to speak in tongues to convince me. That you've got the Holy Spirit within, and we see those changed lives clearly throughout the New Testament in the disciples. That was their proof. As we think of th- this, the Book of Acts feels like very much a turn uh, from their following Jesus, and and some of those those. Uh, Things that shine through in some of the disciples that were maybe not so desirable. And 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 some of those things I'm sure they still had to deal with, but there was a power within them that was tremendous in carrying out the gospel. Adam Clark says, and this is on the well, on the, the part of the passage here, he says, This feast, the feast of the past uh, Pentecost, was instituted in commemoration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. On the Pentecost, God sent down His Holy Son, His Holy Spirit, like a rushing mighty wind, and tongues of fire sat upon each disciple in order that by His influence, that new law of light and life might be promulgated and established. So, to me, there's significance that Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, maybe I should say that Holy, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, which was the Old Testament Feast of Weeks commemorating the giving of the Old Testament law. The new dispensation had been ushered in. We read of the Holy Spirit from the beginning of the Bible and throughout the Bible on through revelation present at creation in the Old Testament we read of him coming upon men and just a few names I have here David Samson Jephthah Balaam Gideon says the Holy Spirit came upon them but then in the New Testament Yes, the tongues of fire came upon them. That was an outward sign. But the Holy Spirit came within them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So man is a spirit as well. Found it interesting. Sometimes we say that man has a soul. But in Genesis, we read that man became a living soul. God created the body of Adam out of the dust. And then he breathed into him the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So we are living souls housed within a body. So man is spiritual, and as such, he connects with the Spirit of God. Also, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, we read about the Spirit of God dwelling in us. As I think of the Spirit of God... I think of the Trinity, um, I would kind of have a, a mental image of what Jesus looks like. That may change from time to time, but I can still kind of picture him. And I think I can kind of picture the Father, but the Holy Spirit, we can't picture. Because he's a spirit, he does not have a bodily form Who does the, who does the spirit dwell in, and uh, just uh, grab a verse from Luke 11 here. Luke 11 and verse 13 says. So it's talking about a, a son who asks for something of his father, and the father doesn't give a a a bad gift for a good request, you might say. Um, if his son asks for a for bread, will the father give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? No. Then it says in verse 13, If ye then, being evil or being human, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. Who can receive the Spirit? We need to ask for the Spirit, and we will be granted the Spirit. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit within is for the children of God, that it goes with that request uh, or with that commitment to making the Lord our God and accepting his plan of salvation. And God will not turn away anyone who would turn to him. Ephesians 5 verse 18 tells us not to be under the control of wine, but rather to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, or we could say under the influence of the holy the holy spirit this morning i ask is the holy spirit at work in your life can we know if the holy spirit's at work in our life absolutely we can and i have just a, a couple of of evidences five evidences here of the Holy Spirit being at work in our lives. The first one is that the Holy Spirit confirms my relationship with God. Maybe uh, a uh, another way of putting it that is assuring us of our salvation and in Romans 8 verse 16 we read that the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God John 3 says we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us and I've I've shared here uh, before of, of the struggle that I face with assurance of salvation, but you know, sometimes I don't know. Probably most of us are this way, but we try to figure things out on our own. And how much better to allow the Holy Spirit to figure it out for us, and to assure us of our standing in God. The second evidence is if the Holy Spirit empowers me to overcome. And also in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says, "...for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live." Mortifying or putting to death those deeds of the body, through the Holy Spirit and if we have that power within us we can know that the Holy Spirit is within us just trying to pull back from Sunday School again Um, I think we were reminded of the power of darkness the stronghold of darkness within our lives that we are powerless to overcome, but through the Holy Spirit, we can receive the power to do that. We need to continue to be current with the Holy Spirit, listening, allowing his power within our lives so that we can um, experience that freedom hard to let go of the flesh. We need to invite and allow his power and control within us. And you know, as I think of, of the difficulty that it can be to, to let go of the flesh, I was thinking of inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives and helping us um, to, to overcome. I had to think of of How sometimes we invite guests to our house. So just imagine with me here this morning let's say I would invite Dalton and his family. We would invite Dalton's to our house and we we want them to come for the evening enjoy supper with us and uh, just enjoy a time of friendship and fellowship and Dalton's come in the driveway. They come up to our door, and and we we push them off. We say, sorry, we actually, we changed our minds. You can just, you can leave again. Trust me, we won't do that to you. But what about the Holy Spirit? You know, I think Each one of us wants to be freed from from those sins of the flesh. The things of the old life. We want to be freed. And we want to invite the Holy Spirit to help us. But is there, do we at times just push Him away when He would come? I trust that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us to overcome, and that can be an evidence of his work within our lives. Another evidence, the third one, is if the Holy Spirit directs my actions and my speech. In Acts chapter 16, we have the account of Paul who had a vision and he was called to go into Macedonia. You know that was the Holy Spirit that was leading Paul to go to Macedonia. In Acts 8 we have the angel of the Lord leading Philip toward the desert of Gaza. Again the Holy Spirit was leading him to a work that he wanted him to do, that God wanted him to do. The Holy Spirit, does he direct your actions? Does he direct my actions? And uh, just speech right along with that. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Now that's spirit-controlled speech. It doesn't say it. It doesn't use the word spirit, but that is spirit-controlled speech. Away from home and at home. Is the Holy Spirit controlling my speech and my actions? You know, if we are directed by the Holy Spirit, there are times that we will do things that don't make sense to others. He may lead us to do something that, for example, doesn't take, doesn't make financial sense to to other people. That's okay. What the Holy Spirit leads us to do, He will enable us to do. And I just, just thinking of that enabling, I had to think of our our deacon ordination here that we're looking forward to in September. And just the fact that it it looks big that um, one will be chosen from this congregation here for that work. But the Holy Spirit will be enabling that person and his family for that work. Another evidence of the Holy Spirit within is if he gives discernment to us. In Acts chapter 8 as well, uh, Peter was dealing with this Simon, the sorcerer, who wanted to give money so that he could lay his hands on people. and give them the Holy Ghost and Peter had a discerning heart he discerned that he was in the gall of bitterness and he called Simon the sorcerer to repent that was a discerning heart in Acts chapter 15 we have the account of the apostles coming together about this question of the Gentiles and circumcision and in verse 28, it talks about how the apostles, actually I think early in the chapter, the apostles and elders were together. And as as the men came to the churches, they said it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost to not lay upon you more than these this burden. I forget how it says that. And they, they gave the, the things that they were had decided, along with the Holy Ghost, there was a discernment there. You know, as parents, we need discernment in many ways. I think we all feel that, not just logic. Sometimes we try to use logic in, in raising our families, but we need to be able to discern the behavior, the feelings and just how to teach and train our families. And we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. If the Holy Spirit is giving us discernment, we can be assured of His presence and His work within our lives. Another evidence, the fifth evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is if the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit within us. Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And We could spend a lot of time talking on those different things there. But uh, I was I was also um, I wanted to look at Ephesians chapter five for just a, just a little bit here on a description of one that is filled with the Spirit. Ephesians five eighteen through twenty one says, "And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit." We referred to that verse earlier. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I believe we have a description of a person who has the spirit, one who is filled with joy that beauty of being filled with joy the result of the spirit of god within we could spend time looking at evidences of a spirit-filled church and i did not take a lot of time looking uh, uh, into that but From Acts chapter 2, there is one description there that I think is a test of being a spirit-filled church. Acts 2, 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We see a unified church. Unity and the Holy Spirit go together. Ephesians 4, verse 3, talks of that unity in the Spirit going together. Just want to look that one up here quickly. Ephesians 4, 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And you know, in a spirit-filled, unified church, it's not that we all think the same way, but we can share, and we can hear, and we can work through things, work through differences. I was thinking of, trying to think of an illustration, and my mind was going to water and um, Finally, I used the bathtub and toy ducks as an example here. So, children enjoy playing with little ducks in the bathtub. (coughs) Little floating ducks, they bob up and down. And if, I didn't try this to make sure, but I I think we can understand here. If we fill the bathtub with a number of, of ducks floating on the water, and we make a current through that water, the ducks move around. And one duck might bump into another duck and just kind of slowly push the other duck away. And that duck might push into another duck and slowly push that duck away. And um, as the current goes, it continues to, to happen. So as I was thinking of that in comparison to To the church there's there's times we we see differently we might bump into each other a little bit and there's there's room to give Um, if someone sees something a little differently we we can give Um, it's not doesn't have to be a huge deal and sometimes we may find ourselves unlike the ducks Um, we may bump into something and we may bump again and and start realizing soon that, you know what, I'll just, we're not gonna bump again, we're just gonna, we'll give here. Now to take it opposite, I had to think of an old billy goat, two old billy goats, and you know what they do, they hit and they hit hard and they don't give, they hit hard again, and they hit hard again. I just want to say, let's not be like the old billy goats. Let's be like the ducklings who are willing to give. Now, I, I say this, but I realize that sometimes there are issues that we need to, to be firm on, and um, doctrinal issues can be um, important issues where we need to not just simply give but work through them and and um, the hopefully we can come to understanding uh, of, of right understanding and uh, being workable on those things. but what is it saying when churches are filled with wedges and divisions and splinters and broken relationships. What is it saying about the unity of the Spirit? I'm thankful that we can experience unity in the brotherhood and that we can Take those bumps and we can we can work through them now i would like to turn from evidences of the holy spirit within us and just take a few minutes here looking at a few hindrances to the work of the holy spirit in our lives one hindrance to the work of the spirit in our lives is disobedience to what we know is right Disobedience to what the word of God teaches is a hindrance to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 calls us to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. And I believe that it is a grief to the Holy Spirit when we know to do what is right and we choose another way. Another hindrance to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is going against the promptings of the Spirit. Okay, it may not be that blatant going against the Word of God. But when I feel led by the Holy Spirit, I hear that still small voice working, whatever it may be, to do something or to say something and I choose to do otherwise. That is going against the promptings of the Spirit, and it's a hindrance. It hardens us to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Third hindrance I have is focusing on my struggles instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. We all face struggles, I'm sure. And sometimes the struggles feel pretty big. And, and sometimes we think we have to figure out what to do. And, and we do, we, we do need to find a way to, to get through our struggles. But too often, For myself. I try to figure out, maybe with logic or on my own, how to be overcoming of my struggles. And I forget to look at the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's not hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's be in tune with the Holy Spirit and allowing his free work within our lives. Each one of us has a responsibility in allowing that work of the Holy Spirit within us. One little phrase that my wife uses at times uh, for the children is about saying yes to God. And, and that's what we need to do to the Holy Spirit. Always saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Listening and obeying his leading. This morning, are you growing in your attentiveness to the Holy Spirit? Are you growing in, in hearing and learning and, and just allowing his work? I think we could probably all agree that it takes intention to grow in that awareness, in that um, attentiveness to the Spirit. And I just want to encourage that each one of us would, would recognize the Holy Spirit as a gift and as the one who is there to guide us and help us. Let's kneel for prayer.